Good afternoon and welcome to Forest Fires. My name is John Clark. As many of you know, I work at a drug and alcohol treatment facility. One of the most rewarding aspects of my job and of my life as a whole is watching as someone enters into treatment a shell of a human being and emerges on the other side a renewed and vibrant soul. But sadly, that's not where the story ends for many of us. Relapse rates in the United States are between 40 and 60 percent meaning that half or more of the patients that I meet will return to active drug or alcohol use. While I revel in the success stories and look forward to hearing how well my former patients are doing, I equally feel for those that have stumbled and fallen back into their old ways of life. Since I myself got sober in 2016, I have personally known over 100 people that have died as a result of this disease. Some of these people are ones that I got sober with, some I've met along the way, and others, there were patients in my facility, patients that I personally worked with. Sadly, many of these people went back out to give their addiction one more try, and they didn't realize that one more time was one too many. I'm often asked by patients and friends that know I work in the recovery field if the high relapse rates and the ever-increasing death toll wears on me. And the simple answer is, yes, it does wear on me. Those of us that work in this field know of a very real condition called compassion fatigue. For us to be good at our jobs, we must be empathetic and caring individuals and not just look and act like we care. Working in the treatment field isn't just a job, it's a calling and it's not for everyone. Because of that, for those of us that do have a passion for this work, burnout rates are high and the guilt and regret that we often feel after the death of a former patient can be overwhelming at times. But I always have to remember that I have very little control over my own disease of addiction. I mean, that's why I had to give up control to a higher power, a recovery community, and a program of recovery. Therefore, I have even less control over someone else's disease, and that includes my patients. I've worked with many people that say they get numb to the deaths and to the relapses of patients, but I, for one, have never gotten numb. Every single one hurts, and I make it a point to read every single obituary and remember the names of all of those that have fallen victims to this disease. I've lost count of the number of funerals that I've attended over the years. I choose to remember because none of us are statistics, and we shouldn't think of ourselves as such. We are sons and daughters and mothers and fathers, and someone somewhere is going to feel the pain of our absence. But with relapse rates as high as they are, some would ask why we put in the effort. Why do we try? Why answer your phone at all hours of the night to try and help someone that statistically is likely to just relapse and do it all over again? Why do I do what I do? Why do countless other underpaid and overworked individuals do it? Because we've been there. Because someone did it for me. In the waning days of my active addiction and alcoholism, I tried and failed more times than I can remember to get sober. I was in the hospital multiple times for health issues related to my drinking and use, but each time I would leave the hospital, I would find myself back at the liquor store or back calling my dealer within hours. 
The last time that I left the hospital, the well-intentioned resident had told me that if I didn't quit drinking, I was going to die. Little did he know, I already knew that I was going to die, and it wasn't the dying that scared me. It was the living. Because of that, I literally walked into the liquor store on my way home from the hospital. I still had my hospital bracelet on. I was in and out of detox facilities for a little over a year because at that time, I believed that if I could just dry out for a few days, my willpower would kick in and I could finally stop drinking and using. But each time I tried, my willpower failed me and I would again find myself looking for solutions in the bottom of a bottle. But there were never any solutions there, only more problems. I was a hard case and multiple people tried to help me along the way and multiple people got tired and frustrated and walked away from me as a lost cause. I can't tell you the number of times I was told I was going to die. But a few people in the recovery community saw something in me that I couldn't see in myself, and they stuck with me even when I wanted to give up. They encouraged me and lifted me up after each ever-worsening relapse and each ever-darker bottom. But for those people... But for those people in the recovery community that saw me as a sick man rather than a lost cause or a statistic, I wouldn't be here today. They are why I do what I do. Many people think that relapse is a failure, and I'm here to tell you that it is. You heard that right. Relapse is a failure. Now, before you get all pissed off and turn the podcast off, hear me out. We as a society have vilified the word failure. Failure is simply defined as a lack of success by the Oxford Dictionary. At no point in the definition did it say that failure was the end. It simply says that you didn't succeed. This time. I can't tell you the number of times that I've failed. I mean, I'm a disbarred lawyer. There's a significant legal document somewhere out there that explains exactly how big of a failure I was. There was a time not so very long ago that I wasn't just unemployed. I was unemployable. If that's not an indication of failure, I don't know what it is. Hell, I've failed at several things today, including recording this podcast. But each time I would try and record and have to go back and edit and re-record, I gave it another shot, and I gave myself another opportunity to succeed. One of my favorite quotes is from Winston Churchill, where he said that success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. And such is the case with our recovery. If you are enjoying the benefits of your strong recovery, don't get overconfident. Because as Mr. Churchill said, success is not final. Likewise, if you've tried to get sober 101 times and have failed every single time, remember, your failures are not fatal, so long as you're willing to try again. History is replete with heroes and legends that were failures for much of their life until they finally stumbled upon success. Everyone loves a good comeback story. Relapse may seem like a final failure, but it's not, or at least it doesn't have to be. I've often heard well-educated and well-intentioned people say that relapse is a part of recovery. It's not. I'm sorry to say that, but it's the truth. Solid recovery and relapse don't coexist. So long as you're actually living and working a real recovery program, relapse won't happen. But relapse does happen, and it happens to many people that attend meetings every day. Why? 
Why? Because relapse is a part of addiction. As I mentioned earlier, I have no room to criticize anyone, and I have no intention to do so. Regardless of who you are or where you come from, you're never going to work a program of recovery perfectly. And as a result of that, you're always going to have to be on the lookout for a potential relapse. Is relapse the end of your recovery? Absolutely not. Relapse can often lead many of us to the lasting recovery that we so desperately seek. Now, before we go any further, I want to make this abundantly clear. Relapsing is not okay. Anyone that would tell you that it's okay to relapse is someone that you don't need in your recovery community. They are absolutely someone you don't need in your corner. They are co-signing your bullshit, and that can get you killed. Relapsing is not okay, because none of us can say with a certainty that the next time that we take a drink or a drug, it won't kill us. As far as I know, none of us have a crystal ball, and no one can predict the future. Relapsing is a game of Russian roulette, and you don't know how many chambers are loaded in the gun. It's a dangerous and deadly game you simply can't afford to play. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're on board with the idea that addiction is a disease. If you aren't on board with that concept yet, you probably never will be, and I'm not going to spend any time here trying to convince you. All that I will say is that you need to take a look at the American Medical Association's definitions of a disease. If 60-plus years of medical data and research haven't convinced you yet, this podcast isn't likely to do so. If me calling addiction and alcoholism a disease bothers you, I strongly suggest that you turn this podcast off now and go back to getting your misinformation from social media. As a disease, addiction is classified as a chronic relapsing illness, a disease that can and will kill us, and a disease that has no known cure. Addiction is a disease. End of story. Countless research studies conducted by institutions, hospitals, and people that are a hell of a lot smarter than I am indicate that addiction is a brain disease, and it weakens the brain's ability to experience pleasure and motivation. The disease of addiction also increases a person's response to stress, creates cravings and unpleasant emotions when cravings go unsatisfied, and impairs functioning of brain regions associated with controlling inhibitions, making decisions, and regulating behaviors. Simply speaking, alcoholism and addiction impact the way that your brain works and the way that you think. Meaning that even though you know the potential consequences of picking the drink or the drug back up, you do it anyway, despite the consequences. As I said, relapse may not be a part of recovery, but it is most assuredly a part of the disease of addiction. In the early portion of this podcast, I said that relapse rates in the United States were between 40 to 60%. While these numbers seem shockingly high, they aren't really that far out of the norm for other diseases. For conditions like asthma and high blood pressure, the relapse rate is between 50 and 70%. Now think about it for a second. If you knew someone that had debilitating asthma and they finally got it under control, and then for whatever reason, they quit taking their medication or forgot to take it for a while. Would you write them off as a lost cause? Probably not. Most likely, you would encourage them to go back on their medication and try it again. Yet, 
We as alcoholics and addicts, we have no problem thinking of ourselves as lost causes and writing ourselves off. Of those that will relapse, as many as two-thirds will relapse within days or weeks of leaving a treatment facility. Statistics show that for those people that will relapse, 85% of them will do so within the first year of their recovery. Now that doesn't mean that after a year or so, you're in the clear. Not by any means. A few years ago, I had a patient that returned to treatment after 24 solid years of sobriety. But he relapsed regardless. The chances of relapse never go away. But the facts are the facts, and research is showing that every year after the first year, relapse rates dramatically decrease. Meaning that the longer that you work this program, the better your chances for long-term recovery are. It's always important to remember that alcoholism and addiction are incurable diseases. Once we've crossed the threshold into the disease portion, we can't go back. I always hated the pickle analogy, but it's the truth. A pickle can never go back to being a cucumber, and I can never go back to being a social drinker, regardless of how much I might want to. Recovery is a lifelong journey, and the best that we get is a daily reprieve from this deadly disease. Healthy recovery is a form of remission. As with someone that's in remission from cancer, just because things look better and we feel better, there's always the chance that the cancer can return. The disease of addiction and alcoholism is exactly the same. I was recently talking with a gentleman that came to treatment after seven plus years of active recovery. And he shared with me that when you think you've got it, you need to call your sponsor. And it's wise advice. Recovery is an ongoing process. You can't simply do 30 or 60 or even 90 days in treatment and expect your disease to go away. It doesn't work that way. If you are fortunate enough to have had the privilege to go to a treatment facility, the purpose of your time there is not to cure your disease, but rather to educate you on the skills necessary to maintain your daily program of recovery. It's like being given a bottle of medicine. If you leave the medicine on the bedside table and never take any of it, don't expect to get to feeling any better. As I said in a recent video, we can learn a lot from relapse. Now, like I said earlier, don't take this as a free ticket to go back out and try it again. Remember, none of us know if we can survive the next binge or the next high. Many of us get sober for all the wrong reasons, though. But that's okay. When I got sober, I didn't do so because I wanted to work in a treatment facility or I wanted to live a sober life, and I certainly didn't want to do a recovery podcast. I just wanted to shut some people up and avoid some consequences. Eventually, though, I did decide to work this program for me. While there is no wrong reason to get sober, you better find the right reasons for staying sober or it won't last. Because so many people get sober initially to avoid consequences, to save their relationship, or to save a job, they carry silent reservations with them. Meaning that if for some reason the consequences go away or the relationship ends or the job changes, you begin to think, maybe, just maybe, I can drink or drug again, someday. Likewise, many of us forget the hell of our active addiction fairly quickly. As I've said in prior podcasts, 
I recall waking up in detox a few days after my last binge, convinced that my family had overreacted and that I wasn't nearly as bad off as everyone had said. In truth, it was actually far worse than what anyone knew and far worse than what they believed. The disease of alcoholism and addiction is cunning and baffling, and it can convince us, even the brightest among us, that our active addiction wasn't that bad. I've watched men in treatment still carrying the scars and wounds from their last near-fatal car accident try and convince me that their disease isn't that bad. While a relapse can be scary, debilitating, and in some cases deadly, if you're fortunate enough to survive it, it can remind you of exactly how bad your disease really is. In other words, a relapse can erase any remaining reservations that you may still have. Likewise, for those of us that make it to the other side of a relapse, it can renew our humility and remind us that we don't have it made and we don't have it all together. A relapse is an indication that there is some part of your program that isn't working the right way. If you continue to ignore the broken or malfunctioning parts of your program, you can expect the exact same results time and time again. I've watched men return to treatment in excess of 10 times, and I've watched men get it right after the first time. The number of times that a person returns to treatment or the number of times that a person relapses is not an indication that the treatment facility or the program of recovery is not working. But rather, it's an indication that the individual is missing some vital part of their personal recovery program. As scary as it can be, a relapse can often help us to focus on the parts of our program that we're neglecting. For many people, after a relapse, they go through an exercise called a relapse autopsy, where they look carefully at the days, weeks, and months leading up to the drink or the drug. They focus not just on the physical use, but on the thoughts and actions that slowly built up to the relapse. The common misconception is that a relapse happens when we pick up the drink or the drug and when we finally fall off the proverbial wagon. But that's not when it happens. Relapse is said to have three stages, emotional, mental, and physical. Emotional relapse is when the negative thinking returns, such as irritability, anger, anxiety, and frustrations. When we get caught in these emotions, we begin to slowly abandon the program that we've worked, keeping our thoughts to ourselves and letting these toxic feelings grow and build within us. Mental relapse is when we start thinking about using or drinking again, when we start fantasizing about and plotting ways and means to use again without getting caught. At this stage, you still haven't actively relapsed, and you can still avoid it. However, many of us don't share these using thoughts and these fantasies with other people. We hide them and keep them to ourselves. The longer that we hold on to these thoughts, the longer we think about them, and the more real they become. Physical relapse is the final stage. It's the stage when we actually walk into the liquor store and buy a drink, or when we call our dealer. In most cases, once you've walked into the liquor store or bought the dope, it's too late. In rare cases, I've seen someone not crack that bottle after they've bought it. But for most of us, once the bottle has been bought or the drugs have been purchased, the urge simply becomes overwhelming. Because of this, it's essential to recognize the stages of relapse and where you are in it.
I can't tell you the number of times I've been in the emotional or the mental relapse phase. Thankfully, in those situations, I've been fortunate enough to finally and often begrudgingly share what I was feeling or going through with my sponsor or with my recovery community. I can say with almost certainty that if I ever find myself with a drug or a drink in my hand, I won't ask for help until it's too late. So what do you do if you are in one of the early stages of relapse, but you haven't yet taken that final potential fateful step? Open your mouth. Pick up the phone. Go to a meeting. Tell someone, tell anyone what's going on in your head. The old adage is right. We're only as sick as the secrets that we keep, and the secrets that we keep about our thoughts and emotions can lead us straight back to a bottle or to a drug. Healthy, lasting recovery can never be secretive or silent. What do you do if you've actually picked the drink or the drug back up, though? The simple answer? Stop. And yes, I know that's easier said than done, but it's also the only way to go from where you are right now to where it is that you want to be. Reach out and ask someone for help. Go to a meeting. Call someone in recovery. Call a treatment facility. Do whatever it takes to get the help that you need. Every drink that you take and every drug that you consume marches you ever closer to your own demise. And that's not hyperbole. It's the damn truth. If you've relapsed, please understand that you're not alone and you're not the only one that's ever done so. You have to push your pride and ego to the side and get humble enough to admit that you need help. I've never met anyone that was strong enough, smart enough, or capable enough to work this program on their own. And chances are, you aren't the exception to that rule. Relapse does not have to be the end of your recovery, but at the end of the day, the choice is yours and yours alone. You already know what alcoholism and addiction have to offer you, and perhaps you've already felt some of the blessings of recovery. Don't let a relapse sabotage the life that you want. I am living proof that this program of recovery works and that redemption is real, even after a relapse. As always, thank you for tuning in to Forest Fires. Reach out and lift another alcoholic or addict up today and be a light in the darkness for those that still struggle with this deadly disease. If you or someone that you care about is struggling with alcoholism or addiction, please know that there's help available. I know that this is an anonymous program, and I will always respect that and the anonymity of any and all people within the program. But I choose to recover loudly, mainly because I'm sick and tired of watching my friends die silently. To my peers and to my friends in recovery, stay diligent and stay honest with yourself. I don't want to lose you. As always, stay reachable, stay teachable, and stay humble. Thank you.